Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report Podcast, episode 8 of the 2021 minor league season. Kenneth Weber, Justin Wick, back in business. Kenneth, we're making a routine thing out of this. Um, I was talking on the last episode about, you know, I'm really excited about the beginning to mid-August. It's a great time of year. You know, this is the time for the players to separate themselves. It's a great weather patterns coming through, just a lot of fun. Well, we are now in the later phases of August, and I'm sad, man. I'm getting sad. Winding down. But that's given us a lot of good stuff to talk about. A lot of retrospect. And the biggest thing with the minor leagues is what to look forward to. So these guys have given us a lot to think about and a lot to look forward to, even though there's so much, there's only so much left on the calendar. There is some enthusiasm to be had about coming together on this, I suppose. I mean, it's definitely kind of awakening to recognize that there are some faces that are really separating themselves. But, you know, we only have so much time for these guys to really continue setting the tone as far as what the schedule has ahead of us. But nonetheless, we are here to talk about all of those guys that have set the tone. Over the next hour or so, we're here to map out the return of Peter Lambert pitching in his first game back from Tommy John surgery this past Wednesday. We're here to map out a full rundown on the recent promotions within the Rockies minor league ranks. A lot of key names that have found their way onto a higher level roster. And as always, we'll come equipped with a full rundown on all affiliates. First and foremost, let's start all the way at the top. Let's get things rolling with the man himself, and that is Peter Lambert, making his debut on Wednesday with the High A Spokane Indians. We've had a very limited body of work. I was really excited as soon as I saw him as an announced starter. I suppose I had to expect that he wasn't going to work very deep into the game. I don't know why I had this predisposition thinking he was going to throw like five innings, but you know, as soon as he got pulled, I was like, oh, of course, he's not going to go that deep. Anyways, those two innings were... That's true, yeah. I don't even think he got through the full order. <laughs> you find out in a hurry, we've got a starter just rolling the dice right there on a short little leash. And I mean, it is what it is. I get it by all means. And his two innings were definitely pretty strong. He put together, he allowed one hit, didn't allow a run, two strikeouts, no walks, one hit by pitch was about the only blip on the radar aside from that hit. 
So yeah, seriously, two base runners coming together in two frames, put together a solid body of work, and mind you, this is the first time that we saw this young man on the pitcher's mound since 2020 in the Cactus League, pre-pandemic. We're rolling the dice back, man. We haven't seen this guy on the mound post-COVID. So long, long ago. Yeah, no kidding. So anyways, very cool. I mean, first and foremost, you know, welcome to this young man for making it happen. But something that I couldn't help but wonder is... You know, we have a month left in the season, and it could have been pretty easy for the Rockies just to kind of cash in the chips on this guy and say, you know what, we're going to put this on an indefinite holding pattern, we're going to wait until next spring training, maybe we're going to roll you out into the Arizona Fall League and see if we can get you some reps there. But very exciting to at least see, I believe he had Tommy John surgery last June, so he's looking at about month 14, month 15 on his recovery. So a standard, at least routine cycle that he's finally making it back. But as far as the ceiling that we're going to see out of him, and this is where I want to bring you in on this, how soon do you think we could potentially see him called up through the ranks? Do we think that this is probably Spokane as the highest he's going to get to this year? Or is this a guy that's going to have a pretty expedited path up to the show again? Um, I think that they're definitely having the most attention on limiting his workload and really easing him back into pitching um, in you know, bulk innings. And I think that that's just the, the slow build to get him ready for 2022. Whether he sticks at Spokane or not, I think it's going to be dependent on how he feels physically. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see him move up to Hartford um, to face a little bit more major league ready competition. Um, but that's also just going to be depending on how he feels. You know, he wasn't pulled after two innings for performance issues by any means. He was probably on a pitch count around 25 to 30. Next time out, they might stick him on that 25-30, maybe raise it up closer to 50, and you probably expect a couple of weeks of that. So um, in terms of the call-up to the major leagues, it's hard to imagine that they're they're fitting him into the schedule right now just with how on the ground floor he is in pitching and game action again. But, you know, I think that a lot of it is just going to be physically, if he's ready to go, they're they're really pushing to have him in that starting rotation next season. So I think that, you know, just his physical performance is going to really determine um, how aggressive they are with him in 2021, the rest of 2021. Sure, and I think that it's kind of captivating to recognize not only is this just seeing how he's going to progress through the ranks of going from high A eventually to double A all the way up is presumed, I mean, making it back up to the big leagues like he's already been, but balancing that with an increasing workload. The reason that I wondered maybe it might be advantageous to keep him in Spokane is because this is a guy that as he continues to build on his pitch count, it could be kind of an awakening of if you make a jump too soon with a limited pitch count. Granted, he's already proven he's got the stuff to take care of all the way up to big league hitters, which he's put together at this point 19 different starts for the Rockies back in 2019. We're not talking about a limited body of work for this guy, but trying to balance it with how ready is he going to be and... I guess in a different sense, how ready do you actually want him to be this year? Because there's always going to be an inherent type of knowledge of, you know, let's call it what it is. The Rockies aren't going to probably catch the Padres. And even then, that might not be enough for a postseason push as the Padres have been kind of falling apart lately. But without a whole lot going on on the big league front, it's not like we necessarily need to rush a key developmental piece for the Rockies. And at the same time, we've got we've got the luxuries of having... I mean, at the very least, if we need a sixth starter in Chichi Gonzalez, which we are seeing with Austin Gomer on the paternity list this week, there's at least relative depth. I understand that starting pitcher depth was something the Rockies were entering the regular season with back in April with 
not a very deep reserve, and this would have been an ideal spot for Peter Lambert to definitely jump in and really prove himself right away. So, I feel like you kind of have to be on your heels. Reserve, but I think of Derek Rodriguez, and I just don't know what you're talking. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I've been thinking. You know, there was kind of a clear cut. You know, no disrespect to Derek Rodriguez, but you know, our our next option was a guy that was DFA. Well, I guess. Chichi Gonzalez was also DFA too, though. So and then Ryan Castellani was DFA. Yeah, and then Castellani was a different rendition right there. So you know, I think it's funny though because the emphasis early on was a lot on Ryan Rollison, and I remember thinking about you know pre appendicitis what he was dealing with. I thought that was going to be the key guy that the Rockies were really going to call upon, and I mean I was even in favor of in 2020 if they were going to put him in the bullpen just to help him get his feet wet. So of course that gets prolonged indefinitely. We still haven't seen him and health setbacks of course that's never anything that you really want to deal with. But I think it's funny that now all of a sudden the enthusiasm that a lot of people were showing for Rollison seems to almost instantly get pawned off on, I shouldn't say pawned off, but passed over to Peter Lambert and it's all just because when you're going through Tommy John surgery, people kind of forget who you are because you're no longer a baseball player for about a year. So that's something, and you know, I don't mean to bring in the personal take on this, but for any of our listeners that are tuning in, both Kenneth and I happen to have a Tommy John scar on our elbows. Seriously, pretty pretty cool business and pretty cool little co-host that also has the same incision that I do. So anyways, I don't mean to bring that up talking about our own setbacks. or anything. I mean, I, I say that more just for the content sake of in the eyes of Peter Lambert, putting yourself in his shoes, which you have put yourself in those shoes before, is it kind of an identity that do you believe that he's probably ready to go just because of all of the bullpen settings that he's been able to at least step off the mound? This isn't the first time that he's pitched, of course, because he's been building himself up to get back on the game mound. But do you feel like there's still almost a level of identity buildup that you really have to just foster the confidence at this point? Or with 19 big league starts under your belt, do you feel like you could really throw this guy to the wolves? I think that there's, first of all, whenever you're recovering from this, there's there's a trust factor that has to be incorporated, and it's, it's totally on a personal level. Because when you experience an arm surgery like that, and I know you can speak from the experience too, you don't want to have that one pitch that screws it all up. That, that sets you back to where it was and hurts again. So I think that that's why this is a 15, you know, a 14, 15 month process now instead of the 12 months that it used to be years ago, because so many guys would have setbacks that you really have to be sure that physically you're ready to perform and get back on the mound and have game action without the elbow blowing up again. So I think that he's probably already crossing that threshold since he's getting into game action and the Rockies are easing him in. So that's the mental side of it. When it comes to the physical side of it, the performance side of it, it's not like Lambert was a finished product that missed a year. We're not talking about Noah Syndergaard, the major league piece, shut down from Tommy John. You forget about that guy for a year because he's hurt, but when he comes back, plug him right back in. You mentioned that Lambert had 19 starts with the Rockies. He also pitched to a 7-2-5 ERA in those 19 <laughs> starts. So there is still more development in his path that was needed before the injury occurred. So he kind of needs to pick up from where he left off, which is developing himself and his arsenal to get major league hitters out consistently two times through the order into the third time through the order and be a successful major league pitcher. So 
you know, you brought up Rollison and Lambert and the attention kind of shifting from Rollison to Lambert because Rollison went down and now Lambert's coming back up again. But the reason why those two are so easy to, um, you know, make analogies off of is because those are clearly the next two in line for a major league rotation spot. Sure. So I think for the rest of 2021, one, he has to prove he's healthy again. If Rollison comes back and starts throwing again this season, it's the same conversation. They really need to prove that they're healthy and they need to continue their developmental path to become major league contributors and really just refine their performance to the point where they're not just throwing them into the fire and you know they're going to get burnt if you put them in the major leagues. Sure. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not there yet with Lambert, but if we're talking two weeks from now and he's got two more starts, three more starts under his belt, everything's looking good, you know, the performance is showing up on the field, okay, now we can start getting a little bit more optimistic on their contributions in the future. Yes, and I definitely think that applies to a lot more people other than just, of course, Peter Lambert. And, you know, say what you will, understandable. So all of us that are tuning in as Rockies fans would love to be able to see a huge playoff push, but there's still a lot of enthusiasm to be had out of, you know, no matter what the preparation is gearing up in spring training or in the minor leagues, you know, you never can really replicate that upper deck on a big league stadium. And I have always seemed to enjoy, especially when the rosters got called up to 40 men previously, I realize it's not quite that anymore, but that was a huge developmental process for so many guys that, you know, call it a big league cup of coffee. Well, you get your month of big league service in, in your first, let's call it your debut season, like it would be for somebody like Julian Fernandez, for example. I feel like that could definitely go a big way. And we're also looking at, that's something that I was hopeful about for Rollison. So we changed the card into, where I'm going with this anyways, I know, yeah, people that are listening are probably like, what the hell are you talking about? Lambert's already been in the big leagues. But the reason I say that, he's put together 19 starts and he's thrown just shy of 90 innings in the big leagues. That was all in 2019. So you mentioned that ERA in the sevens. He is averaging just shy of five innings per start. And he's giving up about seven and a half runs every nine innings. So it's just been absolutely cruel. And that's something, you know, you've given up. I've got, I mean, I've got the table right here, I guess. 72 earned runs in 89 in the third innings. So you're bulldogging. Yeah, and yeah, not to mention you're absolutely just carving Less with it. Less than six Ks per night. So I mean, like I said, there were obviously some serious struggles in yeah. with, with the Rockies. And I just, I think about, you know, he persevered through those starts to the point where he averaged, I mean, nearly five innings per, I mean, I understand in a big league starter situation, the expectation is that you go at least five innings in most cases, but it's kind of just fascinating to see that it's almost like we want to see a resurrection of his own development going, yes, you've made it to the big leagues, but now you're a rebranded pitcher. You reinvented what your elbow does. Everything's remapped at this point, and I think it would be cool to be able to, I'm not suggesting the Rockies should put him in the big leagues right away, but, you know, call it just a couple relief appearances to get this rolling, just to be able to get used to, you know, you're actually a big leaguer again, because I'm curious to see if you roll into spring training with that inherent understanding and understanding that, you know, it's been well over a year that you've even seen this mix in a pandemic and mix in a Tommy John surgery. I've wondered, you know, if you're going to throw two innings at a time, at what point do you think maybe I just go in and throw two innings at a time in the big leagues? Or is that is that almost disrespecting the big league operation because you want that to be for more refined arms? Or can the Rockies just embrace that as a developmental setting? I mean, the history doesn't suggest that they do. Yeah. That's, that's the toughest part about the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, 
And I think that this also gets down to the root of why it's been so hard for the Rockies to develop bullpen arms is they become so determined to stick with certain, just any, you know, name any pitcher. And once they're a starter, they're a starter. And they're going to go, you know, ride or die with, with that mentality. So um, I agree that in principle, really kind of giving that limited exposure in a bullpen role, especially in a season where the stakes aren't quite so high. You're not, you know, every game matters whether you're going to make the playoffs or not. It's, it's you know, a bit of a daydream to think of the Rockies being at the point in 2021. Um, but to give somebody like Lambert the chance to, you know, just tread water a little bit. And he was 22 when he was in the majors sure. in 2019, too. So it's not like they weren't aggressive with his path in the first place. They clearly think highly enough of him to put him in the major leagues at 22 years old, where he was, you know, six years younger than the median age. <laughs> um, whether that's the Rockies choosing to do that or not, I'm less optimistic because they just, I, I'm trying to think, and I got like maybe Franklin Morales Yeah, was the last time we did that. And Frank Moe was a decade ago. So, you know, it's, it's a good thought. I think there's a lot of other teams where you could have more of the serious conversation of them going that route with it. But with the Rockies, there's such little precedence for them electing to do that that it's hard to believe they would go that route. Sure, and I think another factor to at least consider in this, he made his debut in the big leagues, in, or in the, I'm sorry, in the professional ranks, made his debut in the Rockies organization when he was 18. So high school draftee in 2015 was that year that he first started throwing in the pros. His fifth year would have been 2019, and that was the year that the Rockies needed to put him on the 40-man roster in order to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. So... My initial consideration was, was this all just a formality in order to make sure that you were protecting him? And then I see, you know, they still gave him 19 starts. And that was, you know, understandably so. The Rockies kind of fell off a little bit of a cliff in 2019 after consecutive playoff appearances. Maybe they really felt that, yeah, to say the least. Yeah, we'll keep it real objective for the the Rockies-affiliated podcast. But anyways... I thought it was kind of fascinating equally to see that he had an ERA in Albuquerque of just over five. So in 2019, prior to making his big league debut, he put together 11 starts and, you know, 60 innings. Again, racking up at least a considerable amount, but his whip is about 1.3 in that AAA stint right before he made his big league debut. And it didn't seem like he was necessarily dominating quite like he did the previous year in AA Hartford, where he had an ERA in the twos put together 15 starts up there before getting called up to AAA. And, you know, looking through his figures, I mean, Grand Junction Rockies, first year, 3.45. The next year in Asheville, 3.93. The next year in Lancaster, 4.17, working it through. And, you know, aside from that AA stint in 2018, which I think really expedited his development, it's not like he's necessarily been the go-to guy. So I wanted, I'm almost curious going, you know, you really want to foster this guy's confidence, especially getting cut into his elbow like he did. And, you know, I really don't know the best path to do this, but at the same time, you know, I understand you have nothing to lose at the big league level when you're not really competing quite like the other teams in your division. But if this guy loses any more confidence than he already has, I feel like that could be the ultimate red flag and something that you really don't want to do. So... I guess a safe way of saying this is I'm glad I'm not involved with the decision-making because I don't really know if there is a win in this by any means. But, you know, as long as he keeps throwing like he did on Wednesday, 
I feel like there's at least some glimmer of hope that we're definitely on the right track, no matter what the organization decides to do with him for the remainder of the year. Yeah, I think that he's he's given reasons to be optimistic, but they have really rushed him through um, since 2018 because you mentioned his 2019 before he got called up. He also finished that 2018 season in Albuquerque, and the numbers in 2019 and 2018 at AAA were pretty much the same, which was you know that that five ERA, tons of hits given up, high whip. So they're investing a lot in Lambert becoming a guy at the major leagues. And, you know, we talked about the bullpen side. He doesn't have a single bullpen appearance in his entire minor league career either with the Rockies. So they're pretty hell-bent on making him a starter. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're really pushing their chips in on this. And you know what? It's, it's an opportunity for Lambert to come back a little bit fresh, you know, after some Rocky times in AAA and in 2019 with the, with the big league club. And you know what? If he's feeling you know a little bit more confident in his stuff, if he comes back with a little bit better mentality, feels like he will be you know succeeding as a major league pitcher, it could be a new guy that we see out there. But it just we're at the build up phase right now. He's he's got to get some bulk innings in there, get himself prepared, and then I think we'll just have to revisit this heading into twenty twenty two. I think that it's, I mean, there's at least a degree of excitement. Anytime you've got a level of enthusiasm, I think it's always a joyous time when somebody's coming back from Tommy John surgery. So at least there's that positive to make out of it. And he's off on the right foot. We got a little bit of a positive going on after two scoreless innings on Wednesday. And on behalf of the whole crew, congratulations to Peter Lambert making it back into the professional ranks. I'm hoping for the best. I know we all are for that matter. We want to see you soon in Colorado. No kidding. Absolutely. That'd be a welcome sight to see a new uniform for the starting rotation, and especially a younger guy like that. If they're able to really establish that, and with the concerns of there's a chance that the Rockies could lose a portion of their starting rotation to free agency in the coming years, and I think that would be definitely good for the Rockies to capitalize on a little bit of that big league service time from Peter Lambert to be able to bridge the gap for whatever may be coming up next. So anyways, the immediacy of what is coming up next right now Lambert's probably going to see some additional rest here in the final month of the minor league season, whether it be five days on a limited pitch count or more than five days on a standard pitch count. I mean, there's not really a need to get ramped up with only a month ago anyways. But still exciting to see him back in uniform. Still exciting to be able to cover somebody that's been under the radar, needless to say, hanging out on the physical therapy tables. Anyways, we're going to take a short break, but coming up next, we will cover the landscape of recent August call-ups. We've got some new guys and some new uniforms, so just in case you're in one of those affiliate cities and you want to learn a little bit more on some new roster names, you have come to the right place. We will be right back after this. You are listening to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report Podcast. This is our middle section where we're going to be covering all of the recent promotions in the Colorado Rockies minor league system. We're going to start all the way 
At the top with Colton Welker. We're going to roll this over. Kenneth, what have we seen since his return? He got back into into the mix on July 26th, and he's put together an interesting slash. What do you got on our guy Welker right here? Yeah, so for anybody who's not familiar, it's not so much that Colton Welker was just promoted as much as it was he was just reinstated. Um, he served the 80-game suspension, so 2021 basically became a lost year for Welker. But heading into this season, before the suspension, this was somebody that was on everybody's radar as being possibly the next position player to make an impact on the Colorado Rockies Major League roster. So 80 games later, he's actually back in game action in the minors, and he's had a pretty okay uh, stint so far. Uh, he's got a 239-325-507 slash Still has that thump, still has some okay on base, um, so that OPS is going to come out looking pretty decent every time Welker takes the field. He's got five home runs since the 26. He has 18 RBIs. He had a G-slam the other night, too. So he has that impact bat. He's still somebody that is really looking like he could do, um, you know, make an impact for the Rockies on a major league level here in the near future. Uh, 22 strikeouts, still got some swing and miss with him but still drawing eight walks. So, you know, Welker's got that thump, man, and that can definitely play at the majors. So it's good to see him back in game action, doing what he does best. I've taken a look. I mean, it's been fun to follow along just his immediate course back ever since being reinstated. He spent two games in the complex league, eight games in high A, and then eight games most recently with triple A where we last saw him. His weighted runs created in those eight games of AAA is 123, so he's definitely doing something to suggest that he's at least competing relatively well under the parameters, and anytime your OPS is in the 800 ranges, you're doing a pretty good job anyways, so definitely a guy to keep a tab on. Also a guy to keep a tab on as the rosters continue to, or I shouldn't say continue, when the rosters actually do expand in September. They're only going up to 28 as opposed to the previous 40. But it might be interesting to take a look to see where Colton Welker finds himself in that mix, and maybe we're going to see him in the big leagues before long. Um, as far as a little bit down the list, we have a guy that recently made his way to high A Spokane, and that is Michael Toglia, first baseman and right fielder. Double We've seen a. him double A, goodness. That's, I'm all over the place. From high A to double A. There it is. You, yeah, you know what you're talking about. Just as I'm getting caught up talking about Welker going to seven different affiliate levels. That's right. So anyways, as far as what Togli has put together, he's had 74 games in high A. Thus far, he's had 14 games in double A. There we go. So he's put together a slash line that has been a little bit less than impressive. He's put together 188, 350, 333. So that's good enough for an OPS in the high 600s, which is not necessarily a commanding set, but at the same time, he's about two years younger than the people that he's competing with at least the average player in double A. So Togli has left the yard once in double A. He's hit four doubles. He's walked 11 times. He's punched out 15 times. So again, very limited sample. He definitely performed well enough in Spokane to suggest that he was going to be able to climb up the list. But all the while, we're looking at a two-year deficit again with the kids that he's competing with. And maybe this is just the natural step in his development. If he's able to break out like he did in Spokane, it definitely suggests that he's going to be on a pretty solid track moving forward. Yeah, and I think Togli is a good example of try not to put too much uh, emphasis on, you know, these these call-ups at, towards the end of the season. Um, you know, this is just getting them prepared to have probably a full year at these levels next season. So it's kind of, you know, throwing them into the, the fire a little bit on there. Um, there's going to be a learning curve with all of these guys. But Toglia has shown plenty in Spokane this year to get excited about. 
So to think that he won't be able to make the adjustment in double A over the course of 2022 and maybe make it up to triple A, I mean, that's that's a pretty easy bet to make that he'll he'll find some success and make that adjustment. Um, with Toglia going up to Hartford, the guy who took his spot is Grant Levine. He's the next one on our list. So he got moved from Fresno to Spokane. Um, he's had 10 games in Spokane so far. He has the best stats out of anybody that we're looking at in this, you know, this brief call-up period. He has a 300-378-425 triple slash. He has one home run, 17 total bases in those games. Um, for Grant Levine, it's been a very smooth swing, very good approach, big frame. He still hasn't really tapped into that power yet. So he's showing good ability you know, with the bat on the contact side. But if that power ever really starts coming around, that's what we've been dreaming on. So he's making an adjustment to high A Spokane, getting some good contact on there. Hopefully he can start tapping into that power too, and then we can really see him take off. I think that's exactly right. And it's fun to be able to see. He is hitting an even 300 up there at Spokane right now. But his slugging percentage and his OPS were a little bit better in Fresno as opposed to Spokane. So all of a sudden now the average is better than some of those power figures. So an interesting split to kind of monitor off of. It suggests that maybe the high A pitching is a little bit more refined, that he's not exactly been able to find that power that he was able to find in Fresno with some less developed pitchers. But all the while, this is somebody that's proven he can show some pop anyways. He's put together a good collection of, I mean, at least, he put together seven home runs in 72 games in Fresno, put together 40 RBIs, for those of you that are RBI stat believers. He definitely proved, you know, with his OPS of 830 in Fresno, it's still 803 in Spokane, so it's not like it's necessarily too far off. But you can only think that as things start to get a little bit more comfortable for a guy like Grant Levine, he's going to keep pushing the limits and he's going to be able to climb up the ladder a little bit quicker than you might otherwise expect as soon as those power figures really start coming through. So we'll move on down. We've got a middle infield representative from, at this point, we've got him in high A Spokane, Ezekiel Tovar. And... I don't. I mean, I don't necessarily want to highlight the negatives by any means, but Ezekiel Tovar in Fresno had a slash of 309, 346, 510. In Spokane, it is now 190, 254, 238. So we're looking at roughly a 400-point swing in OPS at this point in time. He's kind of he's kind of dropped off a little bit, and it's something that you know. Again, he was already two years younger than the average player in Fresno. He's now four years younger than the average player in Spokane. So it might be the kind of thing, I mean, I guess this is a good point to bring you in. Do you think that, I mean, it's easy to point to, you know, the expectations are definitely high when you call somebody up like this, but is it too early to suggest, or is this the kind of thing that you just suggest, you know, tucker it out a little bit in Spokane and keep working down through it? I think he's certainly earned the opportunity to face the challenge with the way he's performed in Fresno this year. So I agree with the decision to just kind of throw him in there and let him take his lumps a little bit because, I mean, he he really showed a lot this year in Fresno. And I think to challenge him and see how high he can go in Spokane and make that adjustment, I mean, he's earned that right with how much he's dominated that league in uh, low A this year. So you know, is, is it pretty right now? No. But is it something where he's given you, you give him the benefit of the doubt now that he'll be able to adjust and, you know, be competitive and ultimately succeed there? Yes. I think, I think he, Tovar's given us enough to believe in. Um, it's just going to take some time and a little bit of patience, but man, he ri- he rose to the occasion in, uh, in Fresno. No reason to think he won't do it in Spokane too. 
Yes, very true. I think that's definitely a good point to be able to follow. Just the natural progression of a lot of these guys. Every once in a while, you might run into something that's a little bit more of a challenge than you might expect. And at the same time, you know, when you've proven yourself, I, I, I think that it's important to note also how young he is and how long the season is. I don't know that this is necessarily, yes, this is an easy way to pawn it off going the higher, the harder competition is being a little bit more tough on him. But at the same time, you know, we're coming off a pandemic year where there was no minor league games. And at that young of an age, I think it can definitely be that sign of it's starting to catch up with him a little bit of how long the season is. So, I mean, that makes for good viewing as well to be able to check out what exactly is Tovar doing in this final month. How is he persevering through it? But nonetheless, I think that, you know, next March in spring training or even in the first month of the minor league season next year, we could see something that is all of a sudden this huge breakout thing, and then it'll be interesting to monitor next year. As the season goes on, how is he able to prolong all the way through the lasting, or I guess the more comprehensive total minor league season? Yeah, and this is his first real big taste in that too, um, in, in terms of this, this big of a stretch of games. So if he had stayed in Fresno and he had tapered off over the last month, that could have just been a natural way that that was playing out. Um, but with, with the strides that he made this season in, in low A, see what you got and limit the exposure too. you know, give him, give him a month, give him 30 games to experience high A. Worst case scenario, he's still going to be younger in low A next year. If there's that, that step back, so to speak, and he's already proven what he can do at that level too. So, um, I think, I think it's a good challenge to present and I don't think it's overly ambitious on the Rockies part either. Um, but in that same elk, let's talk about warming Bernabel. Um, it could be Bernabel. We already went over this last week. He's a, he's a legend no matter what. No matter what it is, he's our guy. Our yeah, guy warm. Is. So what, what's funny about it, though, is there's a bit of the same trajectory going on uh, between warming that had, uh, excuse me, that Tovar was on, too. So he was in the Arizona Complex League this season. He was just going bonkers in, in the ACL. He had a 432 453 743 triple slash line um, in 22 games at the complex league. So they bumped him up to Fresno to take Tovar spot when Tovar went up to Spokane. So now two years younger than the league age, he's playing in Fresno and taking over that shortstop position. It's been a bit of an adjustment for him as it has been with some of the other guys on this list in 13 games. He has a 235, 298, 392 slash. He does have a little bit of that power potential that he's showing off, that power and speed combo. He's got one home run and five doubles in those 13 games, and he does have two stolen bases as well. So um, we talk about Tovar really having such a good showing that why not give him that chance and that limited exposure to see what he can do at the next level. I think Bernabel's kind of in that same boat just with Fresno right now. So interesting to see. Um, how he's going to adjust to the league over this last month and how he sets himself up for a full season, really his first full season next year, the same way that Tovar's was this year. So I think it's the same right ambitious move for the Rockies, putting Bernabel in that, in that Grizzlies lineup. I think it, I mean, it can kind of be easy for some people to confuse when somebody's like, if you click onto the baseball reference page for him, you'll see that, you know, he's got columns dating back to 2019, but you know, he was 17 years old when he made his pro debut, and now he's 19 years old. So his previous experience was limited to the Dominican Summer League and, of course, the Arizona Complex League. So as you start recognizing what's going on through all of this timing and stuff like this, it's it's captivating to at least follow that we've kind of at least, you might be kind of hitting a cliff as soon as you're looking at 
when you're finally starting with the routine transport of, you know, you're busting around from Fresno throughout the different low A affiliates. And all of a sudden, it's not necessarily the same as what you're used to in the complex system as opposed to, or I'm sorry, in the, in the low A ranks as opposed to what it was in the Arizona Complex League and in the Dominican ranks at this point. So it's been fascinating to follow along with. And definitely, these are the recent promotions that we want to at least highlight to make sure that anybody in these new markets is following along and recognizing these new names that are coming together and definitely putting stuff together. So hoping for the best for both our friends, Bernabel and Tovar. And as, as always, Levine, Toglia, and Welker being some of the more marquee prospects in the system at this point. We're going to continue to follow along. We've got our last little segment, as always. We're going to run down all of the affiliates, all the way from AAA down to low A. We'll talk about how they did last week, what they've got going on this week, what the road ahead looks for, and as we continue to progress forward in through, as we at least start to eye the end of the minor league slate. So don't go anywhere. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Purple Rose Pebble Report Podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report Podcast. As we close this episode 8 down, we're going to go through our full rundown, looking back and looking ahead for all of our affiliates, starting all the way at the top with AAA Albuquerque. Last week, they went 3-3 three and three at the Sugarland Skeeters at Old Constellation Field. They worked their way around a good abundance of rain delays, worked their way around some serious travel to the Houston area. So 3-3 three and three in that set, nothing tremendous by any means. This week, they're going to make their way to Sin City, taking on the Las Vegas Aviators. You know, might I add, it's a fantastic ballpark out there in Vegas, the new Las Vegas ballpark. It's also on the outskirts of the city, though. So, like, as opposed to, I believe it was Cashman Field that was the one that they used to play at in Vegas. That was, like, right next to downtown. It was like any gambling people are just like, yeah, I'm going to go watch a ball game. And now, like, I get it. You're kind of catering to, like, the suburbs, but, like, it's kind of away from the strip, man. They have an arena and a football stadium downtown now. That is true. Yeah, we're looking at a it's little not... bit of a different market here. <laughs> I'm, you know, that, that put the ballpark wherever you want. I'm not so sold on the Aviators name. They used to be the Las Vegas Fifty. They were the Fifty One. That's alien right. Alien theme going on. <laughs> what happened to that? What they... was wrong with that? <laughs> you know, I still can't get over what was that the Area Fifty One raid that people were going to talk about. Yeah. I would say I, they need to bring bring those hats back. Just, I mean, I guess you don't want to promote the Area 51, the makeshift the raid. raid. <laughs> no, make it weird with the alien side. Just you know, show That's minor league baseball. We have the flying squirrels and the rumble ponies to talk I about I mean, now. the 51s at least sounds modernized. Like, I feel like that's actually kind of, I mean, it's like the 49ers or the 76ers. Like, it's, it's the 51s, yeah. I mean, it's not exactly a year, but, like, that's... I think it's clean. I agree. I miss that. And the alien on the hat was pretty classic. Yeah. Yeah. Minor League Baseball is supposed to be fun weirdness, and (laughs) Aviators is not that for me. You had the opportunity to combine Minor League fun with the city of Las Vegas, Nevada, 
and you fell upon Aviator. You could have had X Files night. <laughs> it was right there. You could have had a lot Imagine of the possibilities nights. with Independence Day. <laughs> You know, you the, know? That's, that's true. I never thought about that one. The promotional capabilities for Las Vegas are just unsurpassed. Yeah, throw aliens in the mix. I mean, you got plenty to work with. You're not going to run dry on ideas. We're going to have to film a separate podcast exclusively for the minor league situations in Las Vegas. Here. We're going to open a YouTube channel, and our first video is going to be tier-ranking all the minor league teams <laughs> based off of name and weird stuff that goes into each one of them just general impressions on it all of our viewers are going to be like this is all this is all the nonsense that we've already talked about so if we end up doing this believe me any listener to the pebble report podcast is already going to know yeah (laughs) it's going to be a hit tell you that right now well i don't know how we're going to match the enthusiasm from that first section but we're going to try double a hartford last week they went two and four at the binghamton rumble ponies the, the That's yard, how you match it. There you go. Yeah, well, you know, you, just when you thought we were done talking about the Rumble Ponies, here they are yet again. <laughs> the Yard Goats the won the first stallions. two. Yeah, there you go. You Hartford won the first two in that set. They lost the first. They lost the final four of that set. So this week they're back at home. Um, if you tuned in, I believe two podcasts ago, you probably got the tailwind of the twenty-four game stretch between the Rumble Ponies and the Fisher Cats. Well, that 24-game stretch is coming to a close with the Fisher Cats this week. So finally, we're going to see a new opponent on the schedule for AA Hartford. They will take the road next week against the Harrisburg Senators, which is a lot less clever of a name than the 51s. I mean, it's pretty easy for a team in Pennsylvania to be the Senators, I guess. Mm-hmm. I thought Ottawa already had rights to that. Oh, then. that's right. Oh, jeez, man. Whoa. Maybe it's a province versus state thing. Maybe the, yeah, I was gonna say like is the Canadian the senator, battle, but on a much lower level. Yeah, I was just about to say yeah. Now the Spokane Indians have the exclusive rights to the Indians' name too. Yeah, <laughs> goodness. Speaking right. of the Spokane Indians, last week they went four and two on the road against the Tri City Dust Devils, the absolute graphic designer haven of the Tri City Dust Devils logo. This week they will be back at home. Spokane will be back at home. That is. Spokane takes on the Hillsboro Hops. Fantastic hat. I know I've said that earlier on in a previous podcast that we did, but once again, check out the Hillsboro Hops cap that they wear. Um, there was some bad weather in Spokane, and the first matchup of this series was already postponed, so there will be a little bit of makeup action going on in that series between Spokane and Hillsboro. As for next week, Spokane will take the road and head north of Seattle as they take on the Everett Aqua Sox, a Seattle Mariners affiliate. Going to be showing down at Old Funko Field up there in Spokane, Washington. I must admit, I don't know if Funko is like a brand, like a local thing. I mean, it, it's a tremendous ballpark, if I say so myself. I've been there. They've got an awesome throwback scoreboard. Very all-manual, just really, really cool, intimate setup. Tall fences all over the place. Cool, cool layout. I mean, that's part of the reason they made the Yeah, very, very nice. That's part of the reason why Everett made the jump from a rookie affiliate previously to a high-A affiliate now. So anybody that's tuning in in the Washington area, if I just motivated you to go buy some Everett Aqua Sox tickets, by all means, just jump at the opportunity. Cool stuff. Support the Funko family. (laughs) Support the Funkos. Bring a jacket, too. It might get cold up there this time of year. (laughs) Moving on down the list, Loe Fresno. Last week they went 4-2 at home, taking on the Stockton Ports. They went 1-1 over the weekend as the Fresno Tacos. So maybe they would have been 2-0 if they put the apostrophe in the right place in tacos. And Rocky's Twitter knows all what I'm talking about. Um, this they week, the, <laughs> they lost the prime you opportunity. Had your chance and you blew it. 
they knew what they were getting themselves into with the Rockies. Or maybe they didn't. I guess they kind of were ostracized into the Rockies. You know now. They do know now. There you go. Power of the Alana Rezzo tacos tweet. <laughs> Anybody that isn't familiar with Rockies Twitter is going to be tuning in right now being like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> you'll, you'll see it if you spend enough time around there. <laughs> This week, Loe Fresno, they will take the road as they take on the Visalia Rawhide. And then next week, they will play host to the Modesto Nuts. So again, a whole lot of California travel, as is normal in those Loe settings. And as always, a shout-out to the Arizona Complex League getting their work in on the spring training backfields and the Dominican Summer League rolling it as well. We are anticipating the soon return of the Arizona Fall League coming up next. I must disclose, and I've actually tried to keep this under wraps, but... I guess, you know, if you've made it 50 minutes into this podcast here, you deserve to find out. I actually live in Phoenix. I'm an Arizona guy right now. I'm dying to get back to Denver, but I'm not dying to get back to Denver too soon because I want to soak in all that Arizona Fall League action. So once again, you know, very excited to foray all of the cool details going on about the different affiliates that are going on. There's six different spring training ballparks that will play host to the Arizona Fall League. The Rockies will send representatives, of course, to Salt River Fields at Talking Stick. And what you need to know about this, we've got cool minor league action all the way up until Thanksgiving again. So very cool business to follow along with. Granted, it's going to be toned down as soon as the minor league season ends. But, you know, maybe that means we're actually going to have more podcasting details to talk about. So just when you think the Pebble Report's going to disappear at the end of the year, hey, we've got some business going on. We've got. I was just about to say, too, the Arizona Fall League, the different hats that they have, pretty cool. But they just changed them all, and it's like... I, I like the old hats better. You know what? I, I really do. The old school Salt River Rafters. It had like a cross boat paddle and a bat. And now it looks like a Colgate toothpaste hat. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would still like, wear it. You know? They were tribal logos. Yeah, like it was it was clean. I was like, that's a good hat right there. And now it's like the surprise saguaros. Used to have this cool looking saguaro cactus. Now they've got one with like eyes and a bandana. And I'm like, you know, it, it's still cool by all means. But, you know. Maybe I'm just a purist. I have no clue. No, we we had a whole conversation before we started recording about the the charm of High Corbett and the old complexes right. that used to exist in Arizona and the the Arizona Fall League and the the logos that have been around for as long as they have is is kind of of that elk too. So it is a bummer to see them uh, changing it up. But just for anybody who's not familiar too, the Fall League is kind of a big deal. Like there's there's a lot of notoriety that prospects can gain in this time, and also you know when you if you check out prospect lists or even our perp list, which by the way, if you haven't been checking that out on the site, we have our midseason perps check um, it out man. rolling out in increments of five. So that's something that you definitely want to check out if you're a fan of this podcast. Uh, but the fall league is where a lot of these guys make names for themselves, and they really put themselves on the map, even if they're not having the strongest season in whatever respective level they're at, this can be a huge deal for a lot of these guys. So if you have the opportunity to check it out, keep tabs on it, you definitely should because these are a lot of names to get familiar with um, over the next couple of years that you'll see in the major leagues. That is absolutely spot on and something I'd like to add to that too. For those of you that haven't been down to the Arizona Fall League, they play in the premier spring training stadiums. So let's say you haven't made it down to the Cactus League in a couple of years or let's say COVID forced you out of it in the last two years. This is an opportunity to see these venues unlike anything you've ever seen before. I'm not even kidding when I say this. I've been to Salt River Rafter games where I feel like 
I was maybe one of 10 people in a section. Like, it was just incredible. Like, it's all general admission seating. It's just great baseball crowds that, you know, people tip their cap as you walk in and sit down to watch a ball game. And you're watching, I mean, I remember seeing Carlos Estevez and Kyle Freeland and Rymel Tapia before they really made the, I guess Ryan McMahon was down there as well, before they really made the big names for themselves. These were the ones that finally, I, I knew these guys' names before they even made it up into the big leagues. And, you know, if I say so myself, that's probably where my key passions for minor league baseball really took off was in the Arizona Fall League. So for those of you in... the Rockies. Yes, they're, they're absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, you can familiarize yourself. I believe it's Arizona, Miami, Minnesota, Tampa. I know they've, the they've rotated a few. I know typically what they will do is the host sites, like the Mesa Solar Sox plays at the Cubs facility for mm-hmm. spring training. So the Cubs are always the affiliate there. And then, of course, the Diamondbacks and the Rockies will always share an affiliate yet yeah. with the Raptors. So I think I believe you might be correct with what it is for multiple this year coming up. Construct, or multiple organizations, though, and the prospects from those organizations construct one team. Yes. And that's generally how the AFL is going to work. So um, as Justin alluded to, a lot of names that you can see on the ground level with the Rockies, but also for other organizations, too. So another really cool part about the experience of the Arizona Fall League. I got to get real sappy here. I went to the Fall Stars game. Dead serious. They call it the Fall Stars. Get How perfect is that? Probably one of the coolest moments. I saw Cody Bellinger, before anybody knew who Cody Bellinger was, absolutely demolish one to right field at Surprise Stadium. I think it might have cleared the entire ballpark. And, you know, I had a familiarity for what it was. You know, he ends up breaking out and winning the MVP the following year. Just, you know, especially when baseball seems like it's dying down at the end of the year. If you're looking for newfound optimism, that's my biggest. I I could talk about this all day. You know what? We got we got a podcast to talk about. Goodness. Go watch the fall league. Go check it out. We'll cover it more, though, as it goes along. Coming up next. That's that's gearing up. My enthusiasm is just poor, and I know I got to figure it out. It's so cool. It is. I mean, like, you're not underselling it. If if you're not familiar with the AFL, you really should start trying to, to get a little bit more accustomed to it because there's a lot of cool prospects that come out of that, a lot of good baseball being played out there every year. Absolutely. And we'll anticipate the rosters being announced here pretty soon for who is actually going to be representing it. So we've got more news coming out. That's probably going to make its way onto a forthcoming podcast. So make sure you're tuning in and checking all that cool stuff out. As for the remainder of this podcast, as always, like how we like to close out every episode, is by nominating our breakout player to watch. Somebody in the next week or the next couple weeks that could turn heads or do something really cool. Kenneth, let's kick it off right here. Who do you got for your breakout guy? I'll go with uh, Case Williams. So I'm sure plenty of people are familiar with Case Williams right now because he's who the Rockies drafted in the fourth round last year out of Douglas County High School, then traded, and then traded for again. Um, this uh, this past July in the Michael Gibbons trade. But uh, after he was reacquired, he was assigned to the Complex League, and he's since been brought up to Fresno. He's had three starts in Fresno so far. Uh, his first start, a little bumpy, didn't make it out of the third innings, but, uh, excuse me, out of the fourth inning, but his last two starts have been a lot more promising. Um, he's pitched into the fifth both starts. He's allowed only one earned run in both of those starts as well, so... Um, he has a couple more starts over this past month to, to prove himself. I think that he's going to you know, pick up where he left off from on those last two starts and uh, string together a few more here for Fresno next week. I really like that pick, especially as young as he was. You know, Mind you, this is a kid that graduated high school last year, 
He wasn't on a whole lot of draft boards. I remember when he was selected, some people didn't even know who he really was being taken in the fourth round. Yeah. I hate to bring that up by any means, but at the same time, you know, it might have been a little bit of a surprise to him. Then he had to navigate COVID, not being able to play as a professional last year. And then he has to navigate getting traded back from the Reds to the Rockies again. So I feel like it's very easy to kind of just dismiss his first couple outings back with the Rockies. And as he really starts to establish a better fundamental foundation I think that's going to be somebody to definitely take a peek on and I think there's a lot of excitement coming in there as he begins to formulate a little little bit better of a comfort level I think that's going to do him really well I am going to pick a guy that has already broken out and has already established that comfort level for all intents and purposes I covered the Tuesday rock pile on purple row and it was all about it's time to call up Julian Fernandez so I'm going to selfishly promote my own writing. If you haven't checked it out, by all means, you know anything that you want to learn that I'm going to say in the next 20 seconds is probably on that article, so feel free to check it out. But um, he's, he's dominating. He's like riding a scoreless streak of about 12 innings. He hasn't given up a run in AAA at this point. The rosters are going to expand in the big leagues to 28 players here in September, and I've got a pretty strong hunch. I know, Kenneth, you've kind of teased the fact that it could very well be Rymel Tapia and Jonathan Daza that are just activated from the injured list and take up those two additional roster spots without any transitions. At the so same it time, modern Trejo. Yeah, and my, yeah, those modern Trejo are probably going to be the next ones. So definitely a strong yes. There's my. This might not be very exciting as soon as the Rockies open it up. We might already know who these people are. We'll have an article this weekend talking about all the possibilities. There you go. So. If we may, yeah, there it is. Our Slack channel on Purple Row has been going. (laughs) So anyways, yeah, absolutely. I've got a pretty strong hunch that, you know, at the very least, he's going to keep doing it. Like, I feel like there's all the more reason. If he's going to break out, it's going to be in the big league level because he's already broken out, and it's like he's already set the tone of this is what he does in the high levels of the minors. So I'm optimistic. I feel like, again, this is kind of a cop-out of a selection because he's already broken out, but... There's another opportunity for a breakout coming up soon, and I really hope it's him. I getting mm-hmm. the getting the nod right there. I mean, that's this that's, is the the banging on the table. <laughs> this is me, Julian Fernandez, slamming the the hypothetical fist on the executive table that I don't have a seat at. There you go. <laughs> he could easily get called up and throw the fastest fastball at Coors Field history. You know, like, you might actually be that's right. That's the level of talent that that. Justin's talking about with this and it, it, it has been successful at AAA so far we talked on the last podcast about how long of a journey it's been for him but he's proving that he's healthy that he's being effective this year and honestly everything points to the fact that he could be a major league contributor right now for a Rockies bullpen that let's face it all season long has kind of had a lot of question marks whenever that starter comes out of the gate sure. so this is somebody that honestly we want to see him in the major league level because he's shown that he has the capability of doing it, and he could break out once he gets there. So I totally, totally agree with the rationale on this. Man, I feel like, you know, as a fan, it's real easy to say I want the flamethrower, but you know what, he's backing it up. That, that's mm-hmm. my guy. We're just, we're going to roll with it, and we're going to see how it goes. Flamethrower that actually hits the mitt. No kidding. What, I mean, what more can you ask for? Just let's go. Let's go to work on this guy. <laughs> give me Lawrence and give me Fernandez in the 7th and the 8th, please and thank you. Could you imagine those two guys going back to back? I mean, I, the people, there's people in Albuquerque that have been spoiled with this. So mind you, you know, if you're in the Albuquerque area, you know, do what you got to do to get to the ballpark before these guys get called up again. 
or for the first time in Fernandez's case, but very cool. And again, that's something, you know, that's a storyline that kind of gets buried in the baseball conversation because, you know, the emphasis is, of course, put on the big league level, but, you know, there's some really cool viewing going on here in Albuquerque, and that viewing could, in the Albuquerque bullpen, could soon make its way back up to Coors Field here pretty soon. So that's going to do it right there, man. Cool business. Breakout guys to watch. Case Williams, Julian Fernandez, just shoving. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it, baby. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are, th- we are so thrilled to be bringing you back another episode of the Pebble Report podcast. In the waning days of the minor league schedule, be sure to check us out here on Twitter. You can find Kenneth at KDub1988. Find myself at JustWick. And, of course, Purple Row all over Twitter at Purple Row. Special thanks to all of our colleagues at SB Nation and our media friends across all Rockies affiliates. And as always, a huge shout out to the Affected by Altitude podcast crew, Evan Lang, Mac Wilcox, Skylar Timmons. Their latest episode was just a few days ago, and you're definitely going to want to check that out if you haven't already. So a huge thank you to all of you guys for tuning in. Huge thank you to my co-host, Kenneth Weber, for being back in action with me here on another rendition of Episode 8. My name is Justin Wick. Thank you very much. Until next time, let's play ball. (laughs) 